So there was a research study done where 35 volunteers agreed to have electrodes attached to their hand, knowing that these electrodes would deliver a shock, somewhere between just a little buzz to a little worse than a bad bee sting. Why do you volunteer for these things, right? So each subject, each volunteer was given this choice. They can either wait an undetermined amount of time, might be up to 15, 20 minutes, for a more mild shock, or they could receive the stronger shock and just get it over with. Now, the vast majority, something like 70%, chose to receive more pain just to get it over with rather than have to wait in anticipation of what to come. I have a number of questions about this study, like what kind of sadistic person does this and uh, where do I find this stuff? But they were dealing with this question, which is really how powerful is anticipation? In this case, in, in sort of the dreadful sense of something bad to come, but how powerful is anticipation? And what they found which rings true with us, is that people were willing to pay a significant price to not have to wait. If given a choice, they would rather experience more pain than waiting, anticipating. Now we know this makes sense because most of us as children probably feared going to the doctor when we knew shots were involved. We have a great story in our family that you're welcome to ask my daughter about later. She appreciates that, I'm sure. But, you know, you go to the dentist or, you know, the tetanus shot is due. Even as adults, sometimes, you know, you're going to have your blood drawn. This is like nobody really looks forward to that stuff, right? But as a kid, that was terrifying. Maybe like me, you, you know, experienced those moments where you did something you knew you weren't supposed to do, like play catch in the house, and then something got broken, and you know mom is going to come home. That wasn't just me, right? You guys deal with this stuff. You remember some of these things? And that, you know, that dread of what was to come, knowing you were going to get in trouble. In fact, often that dread was worse than the punishment. It's been said of all the hardships a person has to face, none is more punishing than the simple act of waiting. And some of us experience that side on the negative. Anticipation Waiting is powerful, but it can also be a wonderful experience, right? I remember when Jen and I were engaged, I was in Germany. I'd been there for a bit of a time and hadn't seen Jen for a few months. And um, it was shortly after Christmas, and she was flying over to see me. That was good anticipation, right? And that anticipation was so powerful that I, I did things like clean up my kitchen and clean the car and go and get flowers and pick out the right outfit, counting the hours, you know, until I could go to the airport and meet her. And in Frankfurt at the time, when you arrived and came through customs, there were these big glass doors that you could look in on as you were waiting. And so I could actually see when she got in line, you know, just that building anticipation of being so excited to see someone you love. Finally, she walks out. She can tell you about that experience. <laughs> um, had a little mishap, but that anticipation was a good thing. It was wonderful. That's most of our Christmas stories, right? Christmas Eve, they're built around this idea of anticipation of children and presents and all those things. 
But what I find, even though anticipation can be energizing and it can be life-giving, is that we often miss the experience because if given the choice, we'd rather just get it over with. Most things that require waiting and anticipating, we work to avoid. That's why Amazon Prime is taking over the world. Right? Free two-day shipping and sometimes even the same day. That's why we have things like Grubhub and all these. You know, like right now I can have brought to me what I want. I don't have to wait. I don't even have to lift a finger. And some of us remember when you had to go to the CD store and like buy a CD instead of downloading at the moment it came out and the joy of going with someone to the video store and arguing for like two hours before you brought a you know movie home and now you just stream whatever you want right now. We have express lanes at the store. If you want to pay money, you can, with companies like Clear or with TSA PreCheck, you can avoid that dreaded TSA line at the airport. I get excited when those horrible moments come when I have to call customer service and you get that option of having them call you back so you don't have to wait. Have you, anybody with me on that? Like that's, we would rather not wait when given the choice. In fact, there's a tremendous amount of money that's being made simply on this business of removing the waiting line, removing the wait. We go to great lengths. We're willing to pay significant cost in order to avoid waiting. That's the world we, re- we live in. And, and as a result, we just don't experience anticipation that often. In fact, it may be more foreign to us maybe than we realize because we're so accustomed to right now. I don't want to wait. If given a choice, right now. right? We forget how to anticipate. It was uh, Camus who wrote, we need the sweet pain of anticipation to tell us we're really alive. I disagree with a lot of what he wrote, but I think that's true. There's something life-giving, even when it's difficult, of going through that anticipation. There's something, isn't there, about that rush of being on the edge of your seat, Knowing something's coming. Now, for hundreds of years, Israel had been waiting. They'd been waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. They've been waiting for promises like one we find in Hebrews 11. I'll put it up on the screen. This is referring to the line or genealogy of Jesse. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it gets really good here. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the stash around his waist. I love this picture of the one to come who we know as Jesus actually clothed in righteousness and faithfulness. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. It's promises like this that Israel has been waiting for hundreds of years as we come to the Christmas story to have them fulfilled. Things like this prayer in Psalm 72, which says, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. 
May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. By the way, side note, you hear a lot of care for the poor and a lot of care for justice in these, don't you? May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Now this is a a prayer that was on their hearts since King David. They were waiting for that great king who was to come. All of Israel. They were waiting, but I wonder had they lost that sense of anticipation. Sometimes you just wait. It's different than being on the edge of your seat. Somehow they missed the moment when that fulfillment came, when it sprung up, when Emmanuel, who's God with us, was born. And Advent reminds us of the need to hold on to anticipation, to keep our eyes open, watching for the return of that great king. And anticipation is birthed out of expectation. It's based on on faith and assurance that something's going to happen, right? So the question arises, how do we stoke that flame of this thing called anticipation? Rather than allowing it to sort of wane over time as it naturally does, how do we maintain this posture of this being on the edge of our seat kind of life? How do we live watching and waiting and expectation and anticipation? You know, when life gets hard, when life gets full of disappointment, when longings seem unfulfilled, how do we keep our eyes on our hope? Last week, Greg gave a great definition for hope. If you weren't here, I listened to it. He said, hope is the active expectation of good based upon the character of God. Hope is the active expectation of good based upon the character of God. And that active expectation, that hope, looks like anticipation. So anticipation first requires that we believe something is actually going to take place. That's what expectation is. Going back to the story in the negative sense, that fear, that anticipation of mom or dad coming home to punish was based in the belief that something was going to happen. In our house, the dreaded words were, you just wait till your father gets home. Did I just get an amen on that? I like that. I'm not alone. You know, in the positive sense, all that effort to look my best, to get that funky smell out of my Volvo I was driving, to go buy flowers, to wait at the airport, that all happened because I believed something was going to happen, that my wife-to-be was going to arrive and come out those doors. So anticipation requires we believe something is really going to take place. It's birthed in expectation. But anticipation is developed as well by reminding ourselves of the promises of God and believing, actively believing. Sometimes that remains just remembering that they're going to be fulfilled. It's this this practice of remembering that comes up again and again in the scriptures. And I think it's when we forget that those flames start to flicker. 
But there's one other thing. Anticipation can be developed through preparation. In fact, preparation often builds anticipation. Going back to that story in Germany, as I went to get the flowers, as I cleaned the house, as I did all these things, that anticipation just grows. You've probably experienced it. It's the same thing as you go through your teens on Christmas Eve with your kids. The anticipation just keeps building as you're preparing. You wrap those gifts as you decorate the tree. All of that builds the anticipation. It's preparation that can restoke the flames of that anticipation. And our Creator knows this about us, of course. And God knew that Israel's anticipation for a Savior had waned. And so just before the ministry of Jesus begins, along comes John the Baptist, who you heard of a few moments ago. Now, you've got to use your imagination. John had to be something to see. He's roaming the countryside, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, wearing camel hair and a leather belt. Quite the fashion statement, right? I imagine his hair kind of crazy. I almost think of him like a Grizzly Adams kind of character. But he's reminiscent in the way he looks, in fact, of Old Testament prophets like Zechariah and like Elijah, who he gets compared to. It was Malachi, one of these prophets, who prophesied of him. You see this quoted in the New Testament as well. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Almighty. This is this picture of this one who's to come, this preparer, this messenger. And so John, this messenger is roaming the wilderness. We're told his diet consists of honey and bugs. Again, fascinating. Uh, But that diet was associated with poverty. It was was a connection to the poor, standing in in stark contrast to much of the wealth and self-indulgence that the Jewish people of his day were involved in. Those people who in their self-indulgence were losing that fire of anticipation. So John is described as the preparer. His message was again, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent is to be stopped in your tracks and to do a 180. That's what the word means. It means to turn around and go in the opposite direction. Through through, Through John, God was rekindling the anticipation of Israel by engaging them in preparation. In this case, the preparation was to repent, to turn around from those lives of self-indulgent sin. And there at the Jordan River, hundreds and thousands of people are coming out in the desert, confessing their sins and being baptized by this John. And this preparation was building anticipation. As they made their paths straight again, their eyes and their ears began to tune back to the promises of God. And one day as this is going on, these Pharisees and Sadducees, these often hypocritical religious leaders who look down on everyone else, they come out to the Jordan, perhaps out of curiosity, perhaps to judge John. And John calls them out. In fact, he calls them a brood of vipers. Dangerous thing to call the powerful people that. And tells them that they need to bear fruit in repentance Again, live in the opposite direction that they're headed or they're going to be cut down like trees that don't bear fruit. And so in this scene, which apparently is very public, the crowd begins to ask, well, what, what then shall we do? Because they're looking at these Pharisees and Sadducees as the examples of what it means to be religiously upright. So what are we supposed to do? 
And I want us to hear how John calls them to prepare. How does John call these people to prepare? This is in Luke chapter 3. Again, they say, what, what shall we do then? And John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors, these are like the really bad guys, right? They came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers, again, they're the enemy. They ask him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. To prepare was to renounce sin and to head in a new direction. And it's fascinating the examples that John cites here. It's to be generous. If you have abundance, if you have two shirts, give to the one who has none. If you have food, give to the hungry. Be generous. To these tax collectors whose livelihoods was, were built on dishonesty and taking advantage of people. Stop taking advantage of people. Be honest. Don't take. To these soldiers who represent those in power, stop accusing others. Stop misusing that power to wrongfully take from them. And that last line, maybe more than any of these for a lot of us, because it's not often in the U.S. that people seem to be content. Just that line, be content with your pay. It's not just about the paycheck. It's be content in what God's providing right now. Don't be caught in that I always have to have more. Preparation is action. To prepare is to act. It always is. To prepare, prepare for a storm is to act. It's to gather supplies, to, to board up the windows, to move to higher ground. That's what preparation is. To prepare for a party takes action. Yesterday, all day long, our smoker was going with 20 pounds of pork shoulder. It smells glorious in our house. Charlie and I made 15 pounds of potato salad, I think. We have 25, 30 students coming over today from NCU. And preparing took a lot of action. And man, does our house smell good. To prepare to go to work on Monday takes action, right? You get dressed, you think through the day, have that extra cup of coffee, you know, all these different moments in life to prepare to have kids, to prepare to be married, to prepare to send your kids to college. They all take action. That's what preparation is. It's acting, taking action. And in preparing for the kingdom of heaven, stoking that anticipation, those actions are, again, turning from sin, living with generosity and justice and caring for others rather than just for ourselves. By the way, this follows, doesn't it, in the example of Jesus. Preparation builds anticipation. And preparation is action. Now, in a similar way to this scene with John the Baptist, later, uh, as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, his disciples are asking him for a sign. How will we know? How will we know when it's the coming of the end of the age? And it's a fascinating conversation because Jesus basically says there's not going to be signs. You're not going to know. But what he focuses their minds on is preparation. Jesus starts telling parables 
about readiness, about investing wisely what God's entrusted with us. And Jesus uses this picture of final judgment where people are separated into two groups. I think Greg may have referenced Matthew 25 last week as well. But I want to read it and I want to recognize the importance that Jesus is conveying of preparation and what that preparation looks like. This is in Matthew 25. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to pick up in verse 34. I'll have it up on the screen. Jesus, in painting this picture of what this final judgment will look like, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, they've been separated into two groups, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me, clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And how do they respond? The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison to go visit you? And Jesus, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. This is the picture Jesus paints. It's interesting that in both John's words of preparation for the first coming of Jesus and Jesus' words of preparation for his return, we find similar actions. Generosity, giving of what we have to those in need. Caring for people, living justly. I would say it seems really basic, but this is the preparation you and I are called to. This is the kind of life we're called to live as followers of Jesus. This is a life of preparation that's building our anticipation for the return of Jesus. So this morning, if you feel as though your anticipation of Jesus has waned, Maybe this Christmas just seems a little flat. Maybe you find yourself in worship feeling flat. If your anticipation has waned, I think the first step is to act in preparation. To go back to the words of Jesus, go back to the words of John. To live with greater generosity, to seek justice, to fight for justice, to offer mercy. Again, to follow the example of Jesus in honor of Jesus. Preparation builds anticipation. Now, thinking back to my time in Germany, I probably didn't realize that those seemingly mundane things that I had been avoiding, like doing the dishes and cleaning up my place, that each of those acts of preparation only served to increase the anticipation I had of my bride-to-be's arrival. As we're in this time of Advent, reminding us of our calling to live with anticipation. Some of these things like generosity, like justice, like mercy, they might not seem so exciting. They might actually require sacrifice. They might be things we'd otherwise avoid doing. But they're preparation. So I wonder this morning what Jesus would invite 
you and I too, in preparing not only to celebrate his birth, but for his return. Again, the words of John, turn from your sin. The beautiful thing we're celebrating in Christmas is that it isn't being good enough that gets us right with God. That God says that isn't possible. It's what Jesus did at the cross in taking our sin, taking our shame, taking our punishment, and by faith offering forgiveness and new life. And how we respond to that in part is to recognize the value of the life we have in Jesus surpasses all of those things we're called to walk away from. And so we renounce them and we walk away from them. And we're all in process of this. Maybe Jesus would call you to that in a specific way this morning. Perhaps God would would invite you to live with greater generosity. One of the beautiful things about a new calendar, some of you already have the calendar for next year. Hopefully it's not already filled out. It's like a reset, right? Not only do we do the, the gym memberships that we don't use by February and all those various things, but it's also a lot of us look at our finances in a, a fresh way. Um, great time to just do an audit of our generosity and, and how can we increase that? How can we give one of those two shirts to someone who doesn't have one? Maybe God would invite you to work for justice, to, to think of others for yourself to stand up for the people who are marginalized and mistreated. One of the things I recognize is often the the passion we have for like, that just shouldn't be, that's not right. That's often an indicator for something God might be calling us to, to engage in. When you feel your heart moving when you see injustice, and you go, man, that just shouldn't be. Oftentimes that's an invitation by the Spirit to do something about it. And that's, part of how we prepare for the coming of our King. Maybe it's to offer mercy this morning. To forgive someone who's wronged you, to care for the overlooked. You know, a couple weeks ago, one of the things we talked about were these words for thanksgiving and praise. And they were active words, right? Like lifting your hands and shouting. And maybe God would just call you to, to worship during the week and make time to focus to remember, to live in expectation. This is what we're one day going to do nonstop, by the way. It's going to be awesome. Those of you who don't like music, don't be afraid of that. I think it's going to blow our minds. But this preparation takes place because we believe something is really going to happen. That Jesus is coming again, just as he said. In fact, Jesus to his disciples in John 14, he says this. Maybe these are words you need to hear this morning. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This beautiful promise. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I wonder this morning, is your heart troubled? Or is your heart joyfully anticipating the return of our Savior? I think there's a spectrum there. I wonder where you lie on that this morning. For those of us who recognize 
Maybe that fire of anticipation needs to be stoked. I would say this. Preparation builds anticipation. Preparation builds anticipation. So my prayer for us is that this week we would live in active preparation and that our anticipation would build, that our heart would resonate with these words that I just found this week. This is from a theologian in the 1800s. Coming to the end of his life, he said, I enjoy my home, my friends, my life, and I shall be sorry to part from them. But I have always stood at the bow, looking forward with hopeful anticipation. When the time comes for me to be put out to sea, I think I shall still be standing in the bow and looking forward with eager interest and glad hopefulness to the new world to which the unknown voyage will take me. I love that picture of standing at the bow, of of leaning forward into the wind with expectation. As he writes, glad hopefulness. I would say that standing on that bow and hopeful anticipation comes as a result of a life of preparation. May your hearts and your eyes be on Jesus. And may you be filled with fresh excitement and anticipation for his return. As you, prepare for, as you prepare for it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We know the Christmas story so well that sometimes we're almost inoculated to the beauty of it. That you would come in unexpected ways with unexpected love and kindness and mercy and grace. That you wouldn't come to condemn us for our sin but rather to save us from it. God, as we go through the the various traditions and things we do as families to celebrate this season, would you increase our anticipation, our excitement? Would you help us to be back at that place on the edge of our seats, standing at the bow, that we'd be preparing and looking forward to and celebrating the reality of your coming? In Jesus' name we ask, amen.